famous author and playwright by the name of Oscar Wilde once said, When I was young, I used to think money was the most important thing in life. He said, now that I'm older, I know that it is. Now, some of us who are Christians might respond immediately and say, well, that's not right, that's not right. There's lots of things that are more important than money. I mean, there's our whole worship life and then our relationships. After all, didn't Jesus say the two greatest commandments are to love God with all of our hearts and to love our neighbor as ourselves? Obviously, they are more important than money. That's true, but if you just think a little bit more with me, you might think, discover that he wasn't that far off the truth. Yeah. Yes, yes, our relationship with God and with one another is more important than money. But what if money is the one thing that affects the potential for those two more than anything else? Then all of a sudden it does become extremely important. For example, Jesus said, you cannot worship God and money. He didn't say you cannot worship God and lust. He didn't say you cannot worship God and prestige. You cannot worship God and popularity. All, all of those things are true. There's only one thing that he chose to elevate to the status of a serious rival to himself. You cannot worship God and money. That immediately suggests to us that that this money business is pretty serious. It is important. And then how about when it comes to the area of relationships? A man by the name of Peter Lynch was named by Time magazine as the number one money manager in the United States. He was the manager of the Magellan Group of Funds. And this is what he wrote. He said, as much as I enjoyed managing a portfolio the size of the GNP of Ecuador, I missed being home to watch the children grow up. They changed fast. They almost had to introduce themselves to me every weekend. I was spending more time with Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac and Sally Mae than I spent with them. When you start to confuse Freddie Mac, Sally Mae and Fannie Mae with members of your family, and you remember 2,000 stock symbols but forget your children's birthdays, there's a good chance you become too wrapped up in your work. In 1989, I was celebrating my 46th birthday with my wife Carolyn and my daughters Mary Annie and Beth. In the middle of the party, I had a revelation. I remembered that my father had died when he was 46 years old. You start to feel mortal when you realize you're only going to exist for a little while, whereas you're going to be dead for a long time. You start wishing you'd seen more school plays and ski meets and afternoon soccer games. You remind yourself that nobody on his deathbed ever said, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. So here was a man whose uh, preoccupation with money led to a destruction in the area of relationships. So yes, it is true that our relationship with God and our relationship with one another is far more important than money. But it seems according to the scriptures and life that, our, that money matters have a way of impacting upon both of them. So it's not surprising that the scriptures have a lot to say on this subject of money and possessions. Making them, using them and whatnot. And it is critically important for Christians to be able to think Biblically, And so for these next three weeks, as our own Imagine campaign moves to, towards its uh, consummation and climax, I want to take some time to develop this biblical uh, framework for thinking clearly on this subject. And I want to talk today especially about the relationship between this and our spiritual health. But before I do that, though, I want to address three groups of people. And between those three groups, every one of you will be covered. First of all, I want to talk to people who might happen to just choose to visit this church on this day. Nearly 40 years ago, two young pastors, one on the east coast, on the eastern part of the country and one on the west coast, decided to plant churches for people who don't go to church. So they spent six months going door to door in their community to ask, why don't you go to church? Interestingly enough, both in Chicago and in California, they came up with the same four reasons. And either number one or number two on both lists was all the church wants is your money. 
Now, if you happen to be of that mindset and you came here this morning and heard me introduce this message, you're probably saying, wow, I can hardly wait to get out of here. This church confirms everything that I believe wrong about, uh, is wrong about the church. Well, listen, just bear with me for a few more minutes, okay? I want to talk to you for a couple of minutes. First of all, you just happen to choose to come to this church at a time when we're nearing the climax of an imagined campaign that is to fuel some kingdom initiatives. The last time we did this was 23 years ago. So you just happen to hit us at a wrong time for you. But actually far more important than that. I mean, quickly assure you, you will be asked to give not a single cent to this thing. But I did a little more thinking. Why is it that people get upset when churches ask for money? Because you see, every, every other people ask for money too. In one week, a few weeks ago, I got a telephone call almost all during the dinner hour period from Mothers Against Drunk Driving, from uh, the Harsh Foundation, from the Asthma Foundation, from a new burn unit for a hospital. And if you're like me and like to watch Agatha Christie movies, ever watch one of them on Channel 20, they stop you for half an hour in the middle of the movie and shamelessly beg for money. I, li- I listen to CJRT sometimes for jazz. Well, once a year they have a fundraising campaign and they're pretty shameless too. The fact of the matter is nobody gets upset with these people. Even those who don't give money to them fully understand that they have to ask for it. So I don't think the real reason why if you, in this first category of people, you get upset with churches asking for money, I don't think it's because they ask for it. I think you just don't like, and rightly so, the methods that are employed so often. The, the, the manipulation, the harassment, the pleading and unfortunately mostly modeled by televangelists, which is often a visitor's only exposure to Christianity. If you're in that group, I want to talk to you, because you've got a unique opportunity. Rather than tune me out and don't come back, I'm going to challenge you to come back for the next three weeks, this week and the next two weeks, because you have a great opportunity to listen to how we think about money in this church. If at the end of those three weeks your worst fears are confirmed, leave. You should leave. But you know what? You might be surprised. You might just discover that there's another way of thinking about money than what you might have observed. You might actually end up saying, boy, if that's the way they deal with money in this church, I want to come back to this church. You may not be in a position to evaluate the worthiness of the cause, but you're certainly in a position to evaluate our attitudes and the methods by which we talk about this subject. Okay? So that's, that's the deal. You give me three weeks of your time and... I think it will be worthwhile for you. Now, for the rest of us who don't belong to that category, who are regulars here, some of you, and I hope and suspect it's a small group here, are still quite reserved about this whole Imagine campaign. You're not quite sure you're going to contribute to that. That's okay. Because long after this is history, you're still part of this church. And our regular worship involves the offering that you just gave. You will continue to worship God regularly with your offerings, whether or not you're part of the Imagine campaign. And you also need to think biblically about that part of your worship and not give out a knee-jerk reaction or of other methods of thinking. So it's important for you to listen to these messages. And then for the bulk of us who are involved in actually contributing to this as well, the same principles that are going to help a visitor think sanely about this church, the same principles that are going to govern our regular giving, are the same principles that's going to help us decide in our own hearts over the next 10 to 12 days what is going to be the exact nature of our commitment here. And so, all three groups need to listen to me. One more thing, you can test me, okay? If you find at the end of this stuff that I have been manipulated, that there has been a lack of integrity in what I've said or done, dismiss me, confront me, and if you're serious enough, take it to the elders. They will deal with me. But, But if on the other hand you find that I've handled the scriptures properly, if you find that there has been nothing wrong with the way in which I have spoken, 
then you better take that stuff to God and deal with it. So, okay, that's the deal. We got all of that out of the way. Let's get started. Okay. I want to talk today about the relationship between money and spiritual health. Oh, by the way, one more thing. Uh, some of you who have just started coming during the summer months would have missed a seven-week preparation series that I called Invitation to a Spiritual Process that I preached from May till the end of June that really lays this, uh, the heart preparation for our Imagine campaign. If you are in that group, we have prepared visitors packets for you that have got all seven of those messages, both on MP3 format for the most technically advanced and the old CD formats for those who are not. So we would encourage you to pick up those things. If you missed those seven sermons, CDs are available for you. Pick them up, get them listened to, and then that way you'll come right up to speed with us. All right, Paul writes to Timothy, a young pastor, and he says, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So there's my first assertion. According to Paul's words to Timothy, how we handle money actually affects our spiritual health. For example, the importance is underlined right away when he says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So Oscar Wilde was absolutely right. Money is the most important thing in one sense. Anything that's the root, whose love can become the root of all evil, better be elevated to a high status of importance so that we need to think about it properly. He then goes on to talk about how it affects our spiritual health. He said, those who want to get rich, who want more money, because they love money. He said, they will, it leads to many foolish and harmful desires that eventually plunge them into ruin and destruction and they pierce themselves with many griefs. A graphic example of this is the same Oscar Wilde. For if you look at something he wrote near the end of his life, here's what he said. The gods had given me almost everything, assuming they gave him the money he wanted. But I let myself be lured into long spells of senseless and sensual ease. I deliberately went to the depths in search for new sensations. I grew careless of the lives of others. I took pleasure when it pleased me and I passed on. I ceased to be lord over myself. I was no longer the captain of my soul. And look at these words and I did not know it. I allowed pleasure to dominate me. I ended in horrible disgrace. That's one of the most graphic illustrations of the truth of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, the point for you and me is simply this, that if we are not careful about this temptation to make, want more and more money, it doesn't mean we're going to end up as debauched as Oscar Wilde was, but it does mean that that's the direction we'll be moving. And here's the even more important thing, you won't know when to put the brakes on. And you won't know how to put the brakes on. This man was no longer captain of his soul and he didn't know it. Don't ever give in to the delusion that I can go down this route and I can draw the line at this particular point. Let us be aware of the danger. So that's the first thing uh, that illustrates the thesis that uh, how we handle our money, our approach to money, actually affects our spiritual health. Paul goes on to say to Timothy, he says, Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take a hold of life that is truly life. Now, the first thing I want you to note, and those of you whom God has blessed, I don't know which of you are rich and which of you are not. Thankfully, in this church, we've never, able to, we've never been able to separate those who have lots of money and those who don't just by looking at them. That's wonderful. I hope it stays that way for as long as we can. But you know who you are. And guess what, folks? I have been commanded to command you. I am under orders from God to preach to those 
who have been blessed with lots of money. Because I have to finally answer to a much higher tribunal than what you think of me. Because Paul says to Timothy, don't just suggest to them, command them. So what you're hearing right now is a command from God. This happens to be delivered through people. Now the first thing to notice is that riches in themselves are not being condemned. Earlier on Paul said it is the love of money that's the root of all evil. Money by itself, those of us who have lots of it, there's nothing evil about that. But it does come with some significant dangers. What are they? Notice Paul says, immediately he says, command them not to put their hope in wealth, but to put their hope in God. You see, the, the problem with us when we, ha- the problem with when we have money is, you know the old adage, that it takes money to make money. When you have money, you have the ability to make more of it in various ways. And almost every one of us who can make more money will always want to make it. And will do it. And here's the danger. The more money we have, the greater the danger of transferring our trust in that money that we have to give us what we need, whether it's pleasure, possessions, popularity, significance, security, hope, what have you. That's the fundamental danger. It's an issue of hope. Tennessee Williams wrote a play many years ago called Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. I understand it was made into a movie. I haven't seen the movie, but here's a little uh, extract of a scene from that movie that was described. Remember I talked earlier on about making a shipwreck of your faith? This is what happens because your hope goes in the wrong direction. But what underlies all of this? Tennessee Williams, I don't think, was a Christian. At least I don't know him, that he was. But he had this pegged perfectly. He says this. It's a play about a wealthy dying patriarch named Big Daddy. While his children and his in-laws are squabbling about the family inheritance because they are well down this path, Big Daddy and his second son, Brick, try to come to terms with his failed fathering and his misplaced priorities. In the basement of their family home, Big Daddy and Brick talk honestly among the clutter of discarded paintings, sculptures and boxes of family heirlooms. Big Daddy looks around the room and says, you know what I'm going to do before I die? I'm going to open up all these boxes. He tells Brick his wife bought most of the stuff during a trip they took many years ago to Europe. He boasts that he's worth $10 million in cash and blue chip stocks, not to mention that he owns 28,000 acres of prime land. Brick says in a cynical tone, well that's pretty rich to be. Big Daddy removes the cobwebs from an old clock and says, there's one thing you can't buy in a fire sale or any other market on earth. That's your life. Can't buy back your life when it's finished. Brick wonders why Big Daddy allowed Big Mama to buy all the stuff. Big Daddy picking up an old suitcase answers and listen to the sentence. The human animal is a beast that eventually has to die. If he's got money, he buys and he buys and he buys. The reason why he buys everything he can is because of the crazy hope that one of the things he buys will be life everlasting. Listen to that last sentence, folks. The human animal is a beast that eventually has to die. If he's got money, he buys and he buys and he buys. The reason why he buys everything he can is because of the crazy hope that one of the things he buys will be life everlasting. (laughs) Isn't that right? 2,000 years ago, Paul beat uh, Tennessee Williams to the punch when he said, Command them to be good, to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take a hold of the life that is truly life, everlasting life. Big Daddy was looking for it. Beneath all of this relentless pursuit of expansion and multiplication of money and the things that money can buy is a deep-rooted search for life, a quality of life. And Paul says the way you get that, yes, it has to do with money, but not by hoarding it and buying things. It has to do with how you use it to be generous and to bless other people. And this business of everlasting life is not just all pie in the sky, although it's related to that. 
Everlasting life in the scriptures is a life that begins now. It's a quality of life that begins right now. And I want to talk to you about some dimensions of that quality. That when we treat our riches in this way, even multiplication is okay. Provided the hope is in God and the use and the purposes for these blessings. He said, when you do it this way, you're going to lay a hold of life that is life eternal. What is that like? Freedom from anxiety is one thing that comes to mind. Now you might say, well, just a minute, you're speaking to people who are supposed to have lots of money. Why should they be anxious? Well, they are. Many of them are. Unless they've learned the secret of all this talk about. And it was Jack Hayford who once drew my attention a long time ago to the fact that there's two kinds of poverty. There's actual poverty when you don't have money. And then there's something called the spirit of poverty. The spirit of poverty is a fear that you will not have enough. And so you keep going after it. And you're tight with it. Something like this must be at work because statistics both in the United States and in Canada show that people in the higher income bracket on average give away a smaller portion of the income than people in the lower income bracket. Something like this must be at work. Let me give you a non-monetary example though of how attitude to possessions and things actually gives you freedom. Way, way back, I think it was 1973, Sheila was just about a year old I think at that time, so it must be early 70s. We bought, when we bought our first home, it was a semi-detached home. And if you know that semi-detached homes, they're not only attached to another home, uh, they share the driveway with the next two units that are on the other side. So we shared this driveway. And the guy on the other side of us one day, he said, I want to put a fence between our two yards. I said, okay. I I knew nothing about it. Then I'd only been in this country a few years. Mind you, now I don't have the excuse, but I still don't know much about these things. I didn't know what an ogre was or post holes and all that stuff. But he knew all that stuff. He was very good. And he wanted me around on that Saturday not to help him do the work. He wanted me to pay for it. And he said, but you've got to be there, he said, because I want to make sure that that, proper, that fence goes right on the property line. And you should be sure. I said to him, I don't really care. If that fence goes three inches over on my property line, you're welcome to it. You know. <laughs> so guess what? He slaved the whole Saturday while Sham and I out did what we wanted to do on the Saturday. I was free, he was bound. Because he was anxious. I wasn't at all anxious about where that fence went, you know. Just a very simple example from my own life where these basic attitudes free us from anxiety. Secondly, freedom from manipulation by advertisements. You can look at a billboard that says you deserve it, it's better in the Bahamas and say no it isn't. doesn't mean you won't go to the Bahamas. But if you do it will be for a different reason. You'll probably say things like well how much is it going to cost? How much have I already spent on things that are the celebration dimension of my life? How does it compare to how much I've given? What are some other needs that are there that might be able to give? What will I do on that time? Yeah, I I need that at this particular phase in my life right now to do some reading and some thinking and some reflecting and building into the lives of my spouse and my children. If I go and it will be better in the Bahamas because Jesus is with me, not because you tell me I deserve it. That's how people think differently, okay? And when you have a proper attitude to resources, you are able to look at all these attempts to manipulate you to get things and you can say, no, if I get them, it won't be because you tell me I deserve them. It'll be through a completely different way of thinking that says, I want to be rich in this world. I want to be rich in good deeds. I want to put my hope in God and not upon wealth that is uncertain. And whatever practical results may come from it. But perhaps above all of this is the freedom to focus on relationships. If you want to take a hold of life that is life indeed, you've got to make sure that your attitude to resources does not get in the way of relationships. Sadly, I can tell you many stories of individuals in the time that I have been here. 
of couples, but more often than not the men in the families, who have made career decisions to move, almost entirely driven by the, op- by the opportunity to make more money, that has put their family's spiritual relationship as health on the scrap heap. Even just recently, not too long ago, one morning after a service, I saw two women. One was obviously crying and the other one was obviously ministering to her. And, and I knew the one of them and at the end of that she mentioned to me, she said, same thing, their wife and children were just beginning to flourish in this family, in this church. But off they went because he wanted to make more money. I also rejoice at the memories that I have of individuals who have taken bold decisions. I think of one individual that I know who decided to basically quit the job that they were in, even though it was making a very good salary, for the specific purpose of freeing themselves to focus on ministry and relationships. And you know, within one week, I actually saw physical changes in that person's countenance as a result of that. They were decisions to take a hold of life that were truly life. There may be more, but these are some things that came to my mind of what Paul meant when he said, be rich in good deeds, be generous and be kind. Put your hope in God. That way you will not only lay a foundation for the future, but you will lay a hold of life that is truly eternal life. So those are the two options for us. The alternative is shipwrecked faith and pierced by many griefs. And Paul says both of them are determined by how we handle our money and our possessions. Now, Jesus tells us why there is such a strong... Why is there such a strong relationship between the two? Matthew 6, 19 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. There's that same eternal perspective. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's his reason. For all of verse 19 and 20 is... Here's the reason. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, the heart in scripture is a very important term. It doesn't refer to the physical heart, of course. It is used interchangeably in scripture with spirit, sometimes with soul. But perhaps the, the verse of scripture that best gets to the essence of what the Bible means by heart is Proverbs 4.23, which says, Guard your heart, for out of it are the wellsprings of life. By that, therefore, the heart refers to that central, inner, essential core of who we are, upon which both holy and unholy forces can exert their influence, which then spills over and touches mind, will, emotion, body, and everything. That's the heart. And Jesus says, you know what influences the direction of the heart? One of the most powerful influences of the direction of the heart is your treasure. Because he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will go. I had a very powerful illustration of this recently. That is true even in the lives of uh, unchurched people. Uh, Gail was here a few moments ago talking about Alpha. Well, Gail works with, in her profession, she works with autistic children. She works with a, with a group uh, uh, that is involved in this. And recently there was a very unfortunate incident with a young woman named Tiffany in her early 20s who was suffering from autism, but who died in the very home in which she was being cared for. And there were all kinds of legal ramifications that have nothing to do with us. But Gail was quite exercised in her own soul. And how several of her colleagues were having trouble, you know, the grief and the sorrow. She said, can you help us bring some closure to it? We'd like to have a memorial service for this, for this girl, Tiffany. I said, sure, I'll help you in any way I can. So to cut a long story short, we had 35 people that met in a quad downstairs here a couple of weeks ago uh, on August the 31st. And then we had a memorial service for her. And it was good. And most of the people who came, I think, were unchurched people. After that, we were having some refreshments like we normally do. And this gentleman came up to me and we started talking. 
understand it will be talked about what was happening. And then all of a sudden, from out of the blue, he says to me, as far as I know, I don't think this guy goes to church or he's a Christian. He said, how's that tractor in Cuba doing? You might recall a few months ago, Pastor Wayne and the gym team that went to Cuba presenting some of those needs in Cuba and how we collected money through Alliance Men and others to buy this tractor in Cuba. So this question came out of left field. <laughs> Why is this fellow interested in a tractor in Cuba? And then it came out. He, he knows Gail. And I guess Gail has been championing this. And so he said, I gave some money to that trailer tractor. Ah, now I understand why he's interested. Because where his treasure went, there his heart went. It, it, it's an inviolable law, folks. When we invest in the kingdom of God, our hearts get bound to the kingdom of God. You want to know why your hearts are not excited? Ask yourself how much you're investing in the kingdom. That's why I've said this Imagine campaign from the very beginning has very little to do with buildings. It has a lot more to do with hearts and forging relationship with the kingdom of God. Where our treasure is, there our heart will go. Now very quickly, let me draw this message to a close by pointing out the second principle, which is the reverse. Money ma- how we handle money not only affects our spiritual health, How we handle money also reveals our spiritual health. Because the reverse of Jesus' statement is also true. Not only do our hearts go where our treasure goes, our treasure ends up going where our hearts are. And it becomes a vicious or a powerfully good cycle. Several portions of scripture that illustrate that. Paul Paul writes 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the two longest and most succinct chapters in the whole Bible on this issue of money and possessions and next week or the week after we'll take a good look at those passages again. The context is Paul is collecting money from the Gentile churches to help the poor Jerusalem church. And that provides him an occasion through the Holy Spirit for some powerful teaching on this subject. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 8 he says to them, I'm not commanding you about this matter of giving, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others who also gave. You know, Paul's Paul puts a bluntly materialistic, a crassly materialistic test on something called the sincerity of our love. He said, the way you guys are going to respond to this need with your money actually is going to show me how much you love. So here's an example of how our attitude towards money doesn't affect us, but reveals what the heart is like. Then one chapter later, in chapter 9, verse 13, he says, because of the service And the word service here is ministry, again referring to their giving. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. That word proved or approved was used in early times when a document was certified to be genuine. You know, when you buy a diamond ring for an engagement, you want to make sure that it's certified X number of carats or what have you. It documents that what you have is real. Paul is saying, your faith, you claim to be a Christian? You claim to have faith in Jesus Christ? Guess what? Your attitude and your response in this giving to these material needs through your material resources is like a stamp from God that says your faith is genuine. I'm not saying it. Paul's saying it. Look what it says. Men will praise you for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. This generosity in material realm was an actual demonstration in the eyes of the Apostle Paul of the genuineness of their conversion. And King David in the Old Testament, which is an explicitly building context, where he's basically collecting money from the whole kingdom for, the, for building God's temple, he's, and he prays at the end of it, so this is not even David lecturing, David is praying. And he was good at that. 
O Lord our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. And look at verse 17. I know my God that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. So according to King David in his prayers, the material response, the response of the people in the material realm was a test of their heart and the integrity of their hearts. And of course they passed the test because it says all these things have I given willingly and with honest intent and now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. You put all of these things together and there's many more verses in scripture. You have the second half of our thesis as well. Not only does how we handle our money affect our spiritual health, how we handle our money actually reveals our spiritual health. And there's an interesting illustration of this truth. A man by the name of Godfrey Davis wrote a biography of the Duke of Wellington was famous, of course, for the Battle of Waterloo. <laughs> and he said this, he said, other people had written biographies. You know, when you're famous, many people write biographies about you, okay? Well, other people had written biographies in the Duke of Wellington. But you know what Godfrey Davis said? He said, I had an advantage over earlier biographers. You know what his advantage was? I found an old account ledger that showed how the Duke spent his money. It was a far better clue to what he thought was really important than all the reading of his letters and his speeches. What that says is, you can listen to the thousand sermons that I've preached in the 20 plus years in this church, and it won't show you the real condition of my heart anywhere near how I've spent my money over those 20 years. That's what he's saying. Because our attitude towards money and possessions ultimately reveals what our heart is really like. Anyway, that's it for message number one. You know, we all go to uh, doctors of my my annual checkup is quite overdue and my doctor is even sitting here so I need to make sure to get another appointment quickly but uh, you know when we go for our medical appointments what do doctors do you know they poke and they prod and they push and they ask does it hurt hopefully you can get out of there by saying no to all those questions you know or you won't be able to but sometimes you find yourself going mm, you wince or you say ouch when that happens it's because one of two things have happened Either the doctor has pushed harder than he or she should. And if they are good doctors, that's not usually the case. Or the doctor says, did it hurt there? You know what? It shouldn't hurt. It shouldn't hurt there. You need to come back for a couple more appointments. A sermon like this is exactly the same thing. It begins to push us. Maybe you've gone ouch a few times today. Please don't just dismiss it by saying it's because Sundar pushed too hard. You may want to check that to make sure that I did or didn't. But consider the possibility that maybe it wasn't because I pushed too hard. Maybe it's because it shouldn't be hurting them. If so, you need some appointments too. And by the way, I got one for next Sunday morning and one for the next Sunday morning after that, okay? <laughs> because then we're going to look at the great physician. Today we looked at the examination. Next week we're going to look at the great physician. We're going to look at him probing two individuals in the scriptures. Because he not only probes us until we say, ouch, he also then comes along graciously and takes care of that. And so, as the worship team comes right now, we're going to draw this service to a close by allowing us to refocus upon this great physician and his grace. For in that same chapter 9, Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. It is all by the grace and the riches and the condescension of the incarnation and the resurrection. So very appropriately we want to finish this first medical examination, if you will, by focusing our attention upon Jesus and his gracious condescension on our behalf.
here's my blessing for you. It's been taking shape from yesterday morning, but didn't get fully formed last night. Yesterday morning, as I was driving out for the third of our special leadership commitment receptions for our campaign, I, I plugged my iPod into the car and I was listening. And the first song was, Ah, Lord God, Thou hast made the heavens and the earth by Thy outstretched power. Nothing is too difficult for Thee, great and mighty God, great in wisdom and power. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing is difficult for Thee. That was His first word to me yesterday. And then as I was taking leave of the home, the host for our reception, I just went to the washroom for a minute and there I saw a beautiful little card which says, With God all things are possible. Said, God, I'm hearing you loud and clear. <laughs> Then last night before I was going to bed, I was reading in Isaiah. And, and the call in Isaiah 8 and 9, if you read those same passages, was on faith. And it says, if you do not stand firm, you don't stand at all. <laughs> and then Ernesto comes this morning and he says, is without faith, it is impossible to please God. So I got my message loud and clear from God and that's my benediction for you. May, may Jesus, the author of faith, neutralize fear and unbelief and indifference, and skepticism, and whatever else keeps you from moving out in faith. Specifically in this area of resources, but as Ernesto pointed out, in all areas of life. May you therefore be increasingly able to take a hold of life that is truly life. Go in Jesus' name.